Hello everyone, welcome to Junior Doctors Corner. My name is Dana and I am your host for this podcast. Today we have Jocelyn from Coach GP um, on our podcast. So welcome to Junior Doctors Corner, Jocelyn. Thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on this episode. You're welcome. Um, Today we're going to talk a bit about carving our own path in medicine. Um, So to start off with, uh, Jocelyn, can you please tell us a bit about yourself and what you do as Coach GP? Sure. So what I do as Coach GP is primarily help doctors with career career development. So that involves a range of things like it could be confidence, building clinical confidence or confidence in having difficult conversations. It could be around career decision-making. Sometimes people either having trouble getting into a specialty program or having trouble figuring out a specialty program or just generally going, I don't like any of them and wanted to do something really creative. Mm-hmm. And and I have also coached people in exam preparation. Okay. And so there's a lot of psychology sitting underneath yep. exam preparation. It's not just about knowing the content. So. Mm, please tell us, how did you get to where you are today? Because I've heard that um, you took a very unconventional path Um, in medicine to get to where you are. That's absolutely right. And how I got to where I am is, was really evolutionary. So I was one of those junior doctors that never particularly found a specialty pathway that I really liked. Mm -hmm. And I did enroll in the GP training program, but it really wasn't, I knew it wasn't for me even when I enrolled in it, but I was sort of thought, oh, maybe I'll grow to like it. But I didn't, I really didn't like general practice. And so eventually I segued into medical writing because I got a crazy idea in my head that I wanted to write children's books. So Mm -hmm. I did a children's writing course and then from there got published in a medical publication Mm -hmm. and then I just, I wrote freelance for Medical Observer for four years and then that burned itself out and then I thought, oh, I'll do a public health degree Mm -hmm. and got a job in a research unit and did research, then moved from there into quality of medicines and worked there for almost a decade and then moved into corporate sector. From there worked for Booper and Health Direct Australia. Mm. Sort of by which time I'd been a doctor for 20 or so years, just going from job to job and exploring and never feeling any of it was 100% right. I mm. liked the writing. Yep. I liked all of it, but none of it was really. And I was having a pretty difficult time in my own job in the corporate world. There's mm. a lot of differences to the clinical world and I was struggling a bit. So I hired a coach to help me mm. in that role mm-hmm. and I loved it. Mm-hmm. I, I was, I was, couldn't believe how much I loved it. I ended up working with my coach for two and a half years mm-hmm. and thought that I wish that I'd had this as a junior doctor because if I'd been able to have a coaching as a junior doctor, everything could have been so different. I wouldn't have felt sort of so floating and out there on yeah. alone and yeah. and even that lack of confidence as a junior doctor I could have coped with better. Hmm. So I was like, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go off and train as a coach and bring that right back yep. into the medical profession. So it's literally all the areas that I struggled with is where I'm helping people. 
now and it's wonderful and I finally after 25 years found like I found my fit and I'm really really very happy and it's rewarding and wonderful so is that too corny (laughs) (laughs) yeah so um did you ever feel like um or wish that you had sort of uh, arrived at your destination um sort of a different way or more quickly on the journey mm-hmm. i would have answered yes mm-hmm. but sitting from where i am now the mm-hmm. answer is no okay. because i couldn't have got to here without all of those other experiences so because i've had so many different diverse experiences and working in different contexts and corporate sector in hospitals and gp and i've done work for myself so i've done sort of so many different things and i've struggled through so many different challenges that it's like that's given me all the input in order to coach people. So I feel like I wouldn't be able to be coaching if I hadn't had all that struggle. Would you say that you, along the way, picked up um, some skills that are really useful for what you're doing? Uh, absolutely. In every every different thing that I did, I picked up something and I've kept it with me. So I've got writing skills and I use that now. I've got research skills. I've got corporate skills. Or I can write communications plans and you know, all, all of that stuff, I draw on all of it. So, and, you know, even, you know, people say, oh, you're not doing clinic, clinical work, you're not a real doctor, but I use clinical information all the time in all different ways. Thinking back to being a junior doctor, it's really hard to project where you're going to be in five years, 10 years, 20 years. And there's so many unknowns and uncertainties. Some people have a very clear direction you know, I'm going to be an orthopedic surgeon mm. and they go for it and they're not diverted from that challenge at all and that's all they ever want to do. And they do everything on that path and have a very straight tra- trajectory to it. But a significant number of people don't. They float around as a junior doctor mm-hmm. or, you know, or as a registrar in non-training positions for quite a number of years before they, mm. I'll do some terms here and I'll do some terms there and mm. I'm not really sure and, and so I don't get to meet too many of the people who go straight through, but I get to meet lots of the people who are in this sort of indecision. Yeah. So even if you don't like a term, that's really useful because you now know something where we're not ahead. So you wouldn't have known unless you kind of tried it. Yeah. So I don't believe anything is ever wasted. You bring it all with you. It all adds in. It all adds to your knowledge. Every patient that you see is experience and, you know, you might have seen a patient or you might have come across a concept in your cardiology term that's really relevant to orthopedics. It's so it's, it's, there's no one right, there's no single right way to have a medical career. <laughs> that's the issue. <laughs> there, there's a dominant story mm. about how it ought to be, yeah. which is it ought to be you do internship, residency or HMO, then jump onto a training program and pass your exams and then within, you know, another five years you've got your specialty and, yeah. and along the way maybe you'll do an MPH and a few research projects. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the nice, neat little story. But I don't know that it works out like that for lots of So, Jocelyn, having done um, or taken an unconventional path in medicine, um, what were the main challenges that, you faced during your time working your journey up to this point? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So there's been lots of challenges and one of them is not really knowing where I was headed because, you know, I stopped clinical medicine in 2001 
And in 2001, there was like no Facebook and there was no community of doctors. So I was I was very alone and I didn't even know that other doctors did non-clinical work. I was just doing it because it worked for me, but I had no community. So it was that feeling of aloneness for a long time, a feeling of being a fraud and a, fi- a failure because I wasn't a clinician, so I wasn't a real doctor. So I had a lot of years of trying to justify myself as as being worthwhile anyway. And I think the other challenge is, you know, in not having stories of other people, I didn't really know where I could go or how I could take it. So it was feeling like all the time having to make it up, always having to try new things and having a lot of them fail and having a lot of things not work out. So I think that people who want to, you know, whether they want to go into making their own startup or whether they want to carve their own path, I think it's really important to not glamorise it, mm. but to just treat it. It's also, it's a, it's a difficult, everything in life is difficult. So it's just which difficulty you prefer, if you like. So yeah. you've got to be able to tolerate failure. Not yeah. everything you try is going to work straight away. Yeah. You've got to be able to pick yourself back up and keep going. Yeah. And have persistence and keep going. You've got to have courage because you've got no idea. Um it was going to work out and you had to try it anyway. Mm-hmm. And you've got to network with people and you've got to do a whole lot of things that you don't necessarily learn in hospital. Well, you do learn it, but you've got to translate those skills into a new environment. So, yeah, so anyone who wants to think about that kind of career, I think it's important to know what you're getting into, just like it's important to know what specialty training is, when are the exams and what rotations all I need thinking about unconventional careers in a different way is am I up for the uncertainty? Am I able to tolerate uncertainty? Am I up and have I got permit persistence and commitment to this pathway? Am I open to failure? I'm not, you're going to learn a lot from failure, but you're still going to go through it. So there's lots of things yeah. to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, whichever way you take your career. Did you ever come across um, any judgment from any fellow colleagues for not doing, um, you know, the the conventional path? No, funnily enough, I've never had that from doctors. I've only ever had it from people in the regular community. So okay. other doctors are like, that's fantastic what you're doing. Those, those things are so needed in medicine and we need doctors in those positions and totally understanding you know, if I was doing quality of medicine, so big quality improvement projects, yeah. doctors get that. Yeah. But trying to explain to the, you know, people in social situations that what I'm doing is not seeing patients, but it's contributing to healthcare in a different way. That was, I always found that was, I, I got a lot of, but you've wasted all those years. So, and I'm like going like, no, I haven't, because I couldn't be doing this without all yeah. those years. And, yeah. and, you know, a lot of quality Improvement is run by nursing and pharmacy, which is fantastic, but bringing a medical viewpoint into it was inv- it gives you this three-dimensional thing that mm. is missing otherwise from quality projects. So, yeah, so it's more from the community that I felt like I had to justify myself than from the profession. And I guess no matter what, you know, every one of us serves in a different way. We contribute in a different way, and it's all, like you said, really important, even right down I mean, right from the cleaner, you know, to like a doctor, everyone has a role to play. Absolutely. And and, and in fact, it's not just in, in medicine, but it's all of community. If you think about it, 
the guy who you buy the bread from is contributing because you need to eat. Yeah. And so it's really about the interdependence that we all have and nobody's really superior or higher than I think mm. that brings a lot of pressure. Mm. But it's like if you think about it, as a doctor I'm privileged to have specialised skills and I'm in often life-threatening situations and there's high responsibility. And so I hold that with a bit of awe. I think is more useful than sort of the. It's more e- it's easy to get into a superiority where better because yeah. we're doctors. But I don't think that's useful. I think it's more useful to think I'm privileged that I went to medical school mm. and learned these things. I can save somebody's life. Yeah. I'm privileged that, and I treat it with awe and respect. And knowing that I can contribute in so many ways to society. As you mentioned, you see a lot of um, junior doctors who are very unsure and uncertain about, you know, how to carve their own path in medicine, you know, where they should commit themselves to. I personally, you know, feel that anxiety and uncertainty as well, especially with, um, I think, some of my um, seniors um, or bosses have sort of given me advice about, you know, just get in there and, you know, finish it, you know, um, just commit to something because there's just so much competition now. There's a lot of pressure, um, you know, to just get onto a training program, um, merely because there aren't that many spots. Um, do you have any other advice for those of us who are unsure about what we want to do, um, or how we want to carve our own path? I think it's important to to sit back and reflect on why why you did medicine in the first place. How did you end up in medicine? Because mm-hmm. sometimes what happens is through medical school and internship, you actually lose sight of that initial why you did it. Mm-hmm. And, and often sitting, there can be some sort of passion. So it's about refreshing what why did I? How did I end up here? I think it's important to reflect on what are your values. And what gives you meaning and purpose? And it's it's about trying to figure out what have you got to contribute to the world. So I like, I mean, my personal view, it's, it's nice to chase fulfilment, but fulfilment comes after you've contributed. So it's, it's like trying to chase happiness. You can't get to it directly. You mm. can get to fulfilment indirectly. Mm. So... Trying to figure out what will fulfil me the most is the wrong question. I think the right question is where have I got the most to contribute? And when you do that, you find as a side effect you're fulfilled. But if you go to try to chase fulfilment, it's like happiness, it slips out of your fingers. I guess uh, focusing more on um, what, how we can serve our patients best and then from there yeah. we can figure That's out. That's exactly right. Um, that's exactly right. And what what talents have I got? What are my strengths? What are my interests? And all of that's input mm. into it. But there's there's often no right answer. Mm. There's not any individual could be a great dermatologist, GP, surgeon. You know, there's lots of different things we could all be good at. Mm. And I think that we often try to find the right thing, the single right thing. But sometimes maybe there isn't. Sometimes. It, there's just choices, and you could make any choice, and you're a free agent as a human to do that so it's about making a choice and then making a wholehearted commitment to doing that rather than being there must be one right thing because I don't know that there is Mm. you know coaching is right for me right now at this time in my life and maybe in another 10 years I'll have moved on to something else so 
I don't know. Or maybe I'll go, no, this is it forever. So it's kind of a bit like holding it all a bit more lightly. It, it, it's kind of like, like you said about happiness. You don't just chase after happiness. You arrived at happiness once you start doing things that are meaningful to you. That's exactly it. And that's exactly it. I couldn't have put it better myself. You do things that are meaningful, you contribute, you make self-sacrifices or whatever it is for other people. And then you find, hey, I'm happy, but I forgot to look. <laughs> and, and as soon as you look, am I happy yet? It kind of disappears. Yeah. Like, and it's the same with career fulfillment. I think it's, you know, am I challenged? Am I contributing? Am I growing? Am I learning? Those are the right questions. If where you are doing your work is meaningful to you, yeah. then it's energised. So you could be the cleaner in the hospital. And if you see that your job is really important because clean hospitals are really important for infection control and to stop post-op patients getting even sicker and whatever, then you're going to do it with gusto because you're feeling like you're contributing too. Yeah. So it's about finding meaning. Yeah. So even, you know, a lot of times interns will say it's such drudgery and it is. But if you can imagine having no interns in a hospital, yeah. the whole place actually wouldn't function. It couldn't run. Yeah. So it's like, well, it might be drudgery, but it's important. So, you know, this person does need their discharge summary done. The blood tests do need to be ordered and the MRI needs to be ordered. And so you're kind of in in considering your place in somebody's health, focusing on the patient, there's more meaning and it's a less burnout-y kind of. Can you name one thing that kept you sane during your really busy, um, crazy resident years, thinking back? Uh, Well, I didn't. So because I graduated in 1994, I have an an unrestricted provider number. Ah. So what I I didn't hang around in hospitals for too long. Mm. I I escaped and went and worked in general practice Mm -hmm. because I could. Because I, like, so I enrolled in the GP training program, but I also could work as a GP and claim rebate. So, so I didn't. I chose as part of my work-life balance calculation that I did not want to be enslaved in that way. In well, that, so that was what you work, did, the one thing. <laughs> yeah. That was my decision. I, I was like, I'm not prepared. I was already married. I, I was pregnant in my intern years. Mm. I already had a baby. Mm. And so I was like, in my global life, mm-hmm. my family is really important and I don't want to sacrifice that. For career, career for me, mm-hmm. my career didn't trump family. Family clearly trumps career. Okay. So I, I went and worked part time in general practice because it suited me, and and I had the luxury of being able to because I had because of the year I graduated in. Yeah. Had I graduated later, then I don't know. It would have been a whole different calculation because mm-hmm. I couldn't have done it mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. But do you have something that you turn to when you're you get really busy and you want to just reset? And... Yeah, um, like in general, I give myself lots of downtime. I'm really quite protective of myself, mm-hmm. and I never want to get you know that junior doctor intern year. I never want to experience that level of stress and exhaustion again. And so it's like I protect myself. So I I say no to things. I leave my children to be self-sufficient while I hide in my bedroom. I 
I'm looking after myself. Mm. And I had a lot of help, you know, I've spoken to different therapists and psychologists over the years in in managing that. And I think it's really important because that means that actually when I'm working, I'm functioning and I'm doing a good job. Mm. Yeah. Rather than getting to the, I'm so exhausted, yeah. I, I can't function. Yeah. And, but I've got the luxury of being able to do that because mm. I chose my own path, so I make my own rules. Yeah. So I don't have anyone, to, I don't have a college requirements on my back. Mm. I don't have medical workforce on my back. I'm a sole trainer, I get to choose my hours, and if I sacrifice income for my well-being, that's my choice. Mm. And, and it takes effort and energy and commitment to look after yourself. Yes, it does. Because if you don't, you, you get subsumed into the demands on you. Mm. So it's kind of like it has to be an active decision. And it, it's also about sacrifices. You know, looking after yourself might mean saying no to things and then there's run-on consequences for that. Unfortunately, the trap that you a lot of people are in is that they're rostered on to certain hours and... Rightly or wrongly, the culture is that people don't bring in sick. And a lot of the reason they don't do that is they know that the fallout on their colleagues is going to make it worse than everyone else. So there's not enough kind of fat in the system. There's no no slack to to allow. So it it kind of becomes a self-perpetuating, I have to be at work all the time because I'm needed. And you kind of really are needed. Yeah. But I can't look at it. So it's a trap and... You know, to really navigate that, it requires difficult choices. Mm. You you have to say, like I did, I'm just not prepared to do it. Mm. So I won't do. I am not going to do specialty training because I don't want that in my life. Not everyone wants to make that decision. Yeah. Some people, um, uh, say, okay, it's uh, five years and I'm relatively young and I've got the energy, so I will dedicate this time for that. So that's I'm saying, but I do believe it has to be an active choice, whichever way yeah. you do it. But doing it by default because that's the next thing and I'm not thinking about it, that's when people seriously get burned out and end up in a specialty and go, what? What am I doing here? So I, I think the more choice that you can make about those things makes a big difference to mm-hmm. managing it. So, yeah, so what I'm saying is that any activities that you can, in whatever time you have to focus on the other aspects of your life because – Clearly work is only one aspect. There's family, there's friendships, there's hobbies and interests and travel and spirituality and there's a whole heap of things that make up a full life. So anything that you can do to to figure out what it is that you want in your life and even paying tiny bits of attention to it so that you kind of keep them alive. So, for example, you're doing this podcast mm. As something that you really love and enjoy, and it's a side hobby. I don't know how you manage to find the time for it, but it clearly energizes you, and it's really good for your well-being to have those kind of personal projects as well. Um, so well done. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Jocelyn, for um, being a guest on this podcast. That was uh, very enlightening, um, and thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and advice with us. For more episodes, head to www.juniordoctorscorner.com.